uh, Jim Elliott many years ago made this quote, and he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a brilliant quote that talks about in life, sometimes the stuff that we that, that we think we want, give us nothing at the end of, end of life. What is the other saying that says, you know, measure your life by the things that money can't buy and you'll know how rich you are, right? Uh, whenever I preach a, a, a series on this, I preach from what we call the treasure principle. The treasure principle is a little book written by Randy Alcorn. I think it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. You can read it, um, you know, if, in, in about 45 minutes or on a day that you have a stomach bug. So, you know, uh, after the chili cook-off today, you might go home, you could finish this book in like 45 minutes, okay? Um, but I've preached on this book. I came across this book probably about, uh, about seven or eight years ago, and it really transformed the way that I personally saw giving and, and what that means. But these principles in this book, they will change your life. They will change the way that you see things. But let's talk about the elephant in the room. Most of the time when churches talk about giving, it is the guilt of giving. You are not doing enough. If you would just show up to the party, God could do something wonderful. And God's waiting on you, you know, to, to, to do something. And that's not what this series is at all. As, at all. Uh, the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And the reason God loves a cheerful giver is because God is a cheerful giver. God loves giving gifts to his children. Just think about Christmas morning with you and your family. Yes, the stuff that we give our kids is great, but I, you probably can't remember half the stuff you gave your kids in the last three years. But you remember their reaction, the gasps, the open mouths, the, the wide eyes when you give them a wonderful gift. And God is a good giver. God is not a, a stingy father. He is a generous father. And that's why he calls us to do the same. If we look at scripture and we look at parables, there's a parable that I want to talk about, the one that Diane read that talks about a man is, is going, going across a field, right? There was just a man and he was walking across a field. He didn't, he didn't own that field. It was a shortcut. It was a, it was a path that had been trodden down. It was kind of that useless piece of land at the end. It couldn't be farmed. Nothing good was it. It was just a place that people would cross through the, the opening in the fence and walk across, the owner didn't even mind. And here's a guy walking along with his staff, and, and, and as he's sharing, and, and, and one of the times he puts his staff down, what does he hear? Thud. Thud, thud. What is this? He digs it up. After about five minutes, he sees, he uncovers a chest. He opens the chest, and there's Roman coins, gold Roman coins, dated from about 70 years ago. So this is not a new treasure. Somebody didn't just bury this. Somebody probably hid this, maybe the previous landowner, and when before he could dig it up or tell anybody where it was, he died. And this man comes across it, and then, then the Bible says he covers it back up, which I know we sort of look at and say, that sounds a little shady, right? He should probably pick it up and take it to the, take it to the owner of the field and say, hey, maybe you can give me a finder's fee. But this is, not what's, this is not what's happening. It says he buries it again, and then he goes and he tries to buy the field. And he realizes that in order to buy that piece of land, he's going to have to sell his house, both of his cars. He's going to have to cash out his 401K, but he's willing to do it. The Bible actually says in his joy, he went and sold everything. There is a joy in giving, and that's what the treasure principle ultimately talks about, for us to find the joy of giving rather than the guilt of giving. 
You may or may not know this, but we are all in search of buried treasure. We are all looking for something in our lives, hoping to find something. Now, ours might be more digital than it used to be. Man, I wish I'd bought those stocks when they were here, and now they're here. Although, I guess the stock market, I don't know what's going on there. That's just, you know, that's just a dumpster fire, let's be honest. Buy, sell, do whatever you want. Nobody cares. Um, buried treasure, right? But we're all looking for something. We're all looking for something that's going to be good. Ultimately, if you break it down for most people, they are looking for two things. They're looking for a perfect person or companion or partner in life. And they're looking for the the perfect home. But if you're in Christ, we have already found the perfect person. (laughs) And we're already heading to the perfect home. So that's covered. And if we know that truth, it changes the way that we see things. If we've already got the person that we want in our lives, which is Jesus. And we're already getting directions to our eternal home, heaven. Then everything else really gets a lot easier. If you want to know something, giving is always a revealing of the heart. In coming weeks, we're going to talk about tithing and some of these other things. And maybe you've heard some really bad sermons about it and whatnot. Uh, What what I'd love to tell people is God doesn't need 10% of your money. He needs 100% of your heart. Okay, that, that's what it's about. God does not need your money. I don't know if you know this, but God created everything that we know. He made the universe and the planets and the stars, and he makes, he, he makes food for us. He does all these things. He does not need us to open, open our wallets because God owns everything that we see. And if we change our perspective to that, I think that chur- if you've ever gone to a church that says, God needs your money, they're lying to you. Now you say, now this is not a great way to start a giving series because that's one of the primary ways that we give. It is. God doesn't need it. But if it is a reflection of our hearts, then this inanimate object that the world often uses for bad becomes a powerful experience of faith. You see, our money reveals our spiritual life. Our money tells us who we, who we are in Christ. You know, Jesus and John the Baptist, they both talked a lot about money. In fact, Jesus talks more about money and giving than he does about heaven and hell combined. He talks about it a lot. And if you think about parables or stories, which we'll get into some of them, a lot of those have something to do with money. When Luke records the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus says these words, that's why they're written in red, and I know they're a little hard to see, I probably should have changed those. It says, give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Like if you, if you had a pot of flour, and it's pressed and condensed, it's not just filled as lightly as it can be, it's huge. And running over will be poured into your lap, for the measure you use will be measured to you. Jesus uses this analogy multiple times. The way that you judge people is the way that you're going to be judged. He says this multiple times in in different ways. And here's one of those times that he says, the way that you approach giving to God is the way that God is going to see you as well. There's some reciprocal uh, nature in the midst of of some of this stuff. But if we go now to to Luke chapter, let me get there. Luke chapter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. This is John the Baptist talking. This is before uh, Jesus has fully come onto the scene. But John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Well, that's a weird thing to tie together. 
And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Then the the crowd that's there says, what shall we do then? And notice the three things that John says all have to do with money. He's tying repentance and money together. Verse 11, it says, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has no food should do the same. Tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what are we supposed to do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers came to him and said, and what are we supposed to do? And he replied, do not extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. It's amazing, but but John seems to think that money is the path to repentance. It is a it is a revealing that people often miss. That you want to know where you are, are with God and, and you want to take, take stock. Sometimes people do this. How, how do I know how spiritual I am? How do I know if I'm growing in the right places? Well, John seems to think the way that we treat others and the way that we use our means tells us where we are. If you are greedy and you want to hoard things for yourself and you never give anybody anything that they haven't absolutely earned, and when they have earned something, you try to shortchange them, they're saying that person cannot have repentance. That person doesn't understand what it means to walk rightly with God. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. There's the heart language again. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't mean that we're deliriously happy when we're giving our stuff away. It's just that we do it with a sense of joy, knowing that this is not the meaning of life. And God has led us. God always gave to us first. That's why God is our cheerful giver, and we give in response to that. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God blesses us not to have. God blesses us so that we can bless others, is what he's saying. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of your service, by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in your prayers and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable
you read the treasure principle, principle a little bit, it's not a difficult read. Money is a reflection of faith. It's the acknowledgement of what God has already given us. This is why, you, you know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That was his expression. You know, Paul even says this so many times. We, we didn't even know we needed it, and God gave it before we even were aware that we needed it. God made, made provision for us in powerful ways. That our lives, and I, and I don't say this lightly, it's like we're walking through fields and finding buried treasure. You ever notice how things just somehow fall into place in your life sometimes in ways that you couldn't have done it on your own? And it's, it's God's way of reminding us, listen, I got this. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to walk with you. But if we read the parable of the buried treasure, the lesson that we learn is this. Give up the lesser treasure for the greater treasure, right? Go and sell everything you have that you think is important when you find something valuable. And if we talk about this at a, at a, at a in kind of a bigger level, when you find Christ, give up your life for that because that's the treasure that matters. Don't be afraid to take that step because that's the one that pays the dividends. That's the one that does the things that this life cannot do. Do you know that money makes all the promises that God does? Money says, I'll give you security, safety, likability. You know, I, I'll give you every, I'll give you uh, success. That's what money promises. If you've ever had it or you've ever lost it, you know that that is not true. The parable of the prodigal son, he has everything when he leaves for a, for a new land. And when he gets there, he squanders it. Remember the story in Luke 15? And then he has nothing. And guess what? It says all of his friends step in and help him. And they give him everything that he needs. No, that, that's not what happens. They abandon him because the promise is bigger. One of the, the parables of the story is this. Treasure only has value if when it is found, it is used. If God blesses our lives and we do nothing with it, you won't find a lot more treasure. When we find something and we come across something and we go, okay, how can we best serve God in the midst of this? That's what God uses that for. You see, a great treasure is worth sacrificing for. A great treasure is worth sacrificing for. In this book by Randy Alcorn, um, there are seven principles, and I'm only going to share the first one with you today because I think it's the one that matters and it leads all the others. His first principle is this, God owns everything. We're simply the money makers. We have a false narrative and a false perception of ownership in our world. You own your house, kind of, the bank probably owns it, right? You own your car, well, same story. But even if you have your home and it's paid for, how long is it yours? Well, a few years maybe. When you, when you pass, pass away, you can't take it with you. It falls to somebody else. We own everything we have is loaned to us. We, we have it for a short amount of time. And one of the most transformative things that Haley and I learned in our own giving is that if it's all God's, you really don't care that much about how it's used. It doesn't mean you need to be careless, 
But if you lose some, if you win some deals and you lose some deals, it seems to bother you far less because it's not ultimately yours, it's his. And if we have that submissive heart of saying, God, everything we have is yours. Listen, I'm under no illusions that Journey Church is mine. It's always been his. And if we have that idea, we're going to worry about these things far less than we would otherwise. Because everything is about him. And if we start with that and we just do our best to manage what we have, well, the time that we have it will change the way that we see, giving is about perspective, and it's about priorities. You know, um, money is a, is a personal thing for people. Our kids are at the age, or your kids at this age, every time you buy something or sell something, they always ask one question. Do you just do this? How much was it? How much is it? And we lie to our children all the time. We get great deals and we tell them it costs a lot because that's what parents do, right? But their perspective is, is that they understand that the world assigns value based on what you have or the appearance of what you actually have. If you want to know what you're serious about, go home today and check your bank statement. First of all, see how you feel when it pops up. Oh. That's not good. Or are you in a better spot than you thought you were? Go down and scroll down and see what you spend money on. Tax stack, tax stack, tax stack, tax stack, tax stack, tax stack. Right? Some of you are being convicted right now. That's God working on you. He's telling you, I own tax stack. That's what he's telling you. Go and look. Go and look how much you pay for your kid's sporting event. Go look how much you're putting in retirement. Go and look at how much you're saving for their future. Go and look at those numbers. And it'll be very easy to know where our priorities and our perspectives are, what we're really serious about. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus ends 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 a little story about you can't serve God and money by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We always teach it the other way around. What you're passionate about, you'll spend money on. That's not actually true. Where you spend money, you will find ways to be passionate about that. Jesus says, your heart will follow your money. And if you use it for bad, your heart will go to a bad spot. If you use it for good, your heart goes to a good spot. It reflects something different. Over the years of preaching about giving, I've heard people say this multiple times. I don't give because I don't have. And I know sometimes money is tight. I know everything costs more. But like I said, it's about perspective and priorities. I, I, I see sometimes people, and it's not a, not a judgment, but I see people that say to their kids, you can be in every single sporting activity and we will, we will take out another mortgage so we can pay for that. I think one of the healthiest things you could teach your kids is saying, hey, we do not, we cannot afford all these things. We can afford this or this or this. We want you to pick one. We want you to be happy. We want you to have joy in that one thing. But we're not going to lose our lives and get rid of all of our priorities just so that you can, you, you can have a good perception about, about what you're doing or what you're involved in. I think it's a great thing instead of going crazy this Christmas, giving your kids a couple of really well thought out gifts, saying, hey, we're going to have less 
Maybe we're going to go and volunteer or we're going to make a donation somewhere or we're going to be a part of something. We do have a mission project we're going to share with you uh, here in a couple weeks. It's a really, really cool one. You're going to want to be a part of it and it's really positive. The people that say, I don't give because I don't have, I think what Jesus says to those people is, you do not have because you do not give. Because what I've given you, you have not proved yourself to be trustworthy with, so I'm not going to give you more. We do this as parents all the time, right? You're not responsible with that. I'm not giving, you broke your third phone in three months. I'm not buying you a new iPhone 14. That makes sense to us when we're parents, but when it comes to God, we, we seem to get it backwards. When we are faithful with what God entrusts us with, then he'll give us more. And that's not a get rich quick scheme. It's a never be poor scheme. Principle one, God owns everything. We're just money managers. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is it yours, is it mine, or is it his? You don't have to look that far to realize that it's his. (laughs) And when we learn that lesson, it changes our hearts and it changes the way that we engage with God. And so don't don't just take, be a giver. Father, today, thank you for for this time. Thank you that we have an opportunity to share together. I pray that as we try to live out the calling of, of giving, the high calling of giving in our lives, as we walk through this process, God, we just pray that whatever is revealed in our lives or to us uh, would just be be powerful. And Father, I just I just ask that that you would work on each of our hearts you would just help us to find our place. God, that if, if we've put you to the side in the last few years, that we would regain some priority about who you are. And God, I just pray that, that we would realize that you are a God who gives us abundantly, gives us more than we deserve, gives it at a time that we could never repay it or above all for giving us your son who gives us life who sets us on a path of life we pray that we would honor him by the way that we live thank you for this time today please bless us as we continue to worship we pray this all through Jesus just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy
sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this fall. just for 